the Holy Family Chapel Hill podcast, where you will find our weekly sermons, as well as the occasional reflection, conversation, or interview. We are glad you are here. Welcome. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. We Americans have been so deeply formed by our culture to think of ourselves primarily, if not entirely, as individuals rather than as people inextricably embedded in community that I spend a lot more time emphasizing our communal relationship to God than I do our individual relationship to God. We have to push back against that sense of isolated independence that fractures the community that God calls us to be. This is evidently not just a 21st century challenge, as Paul shows when he insists that the Corinthians' bodies belong to Christ's body and not to themselves. You are not your own, he says. And yet this morning, we have these texts that are very much about one-on-one relationships to God. Jesus finds Philip and says to him, follow me. And when Philip fetches Nathanael, Jesus says to him in turn, here is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit, before Nathanael even has a chance to speak. Nathaniel replies to Jesus more or less, have we met? I saw you under the fig tree, Jesus says. And we know, even if Nathaniel doesn't, that God in God and all of God's almighty immensity is telling this one tiny particular human, I know you. Lord, You have searched me out and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You discern my thoughts from afar, says the psalmist, which is flabbergasting. The creator of all things, seen and unseen, has searched me out and knows me. You may know that feeling of looking up at a clear night sky and seeing that uncountable numbers of stars and galaxies and feeling very, very small in the presence of all that immensity. Yet somehow, the maker of all that vastness knows each one of us inside out and has since before we were born. And then there's Samuel and God's call to him. Samuel, Samuel, yo, Samuel. Third time's the charm, and Samuel responds, oh, yes, yes, here I am, Lord, I'm listening. These are all call stories accounts of God's particular call to particular people to be a prophet or a disciple. They are stories about how intimately and how well God knows each of them, 
and about the specificity of God's relationship to each one of them. And there is actually one more call story in these texts, although it's not as obvious as the calls to Philip, Nathaniel, and Samuel. In this case, it's more in the nature of God telling someone the truth about themselves than commissioning or sending them. God calls Samuel to speak a prophetic word and then gives him this wretched news for the old priest who has charge of him. I am about to punish the house of Eli forever for the iniquity he knew and did nothing about, that his awful sons were blaspheming God. And there is no amount of sacrifice or offering Eli can now make that will rid his house of their guilt. Samuel passes the rest of what must have been a very bad night, dreading the morning and having to share this word with Eli. But Eli insists on hearing all of it, and Samuel holds nothing back. And then there is this astonishing and beautiful moment. Samuel tells Eli everything with no softening of the blow, and here is how Eli responds to God's devastating judgment. It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. Tomorrow is the day on which we remember and honor the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., who spoke God's word of justice to a nation and to the world. And his life bears witness, among other things, to how hard and difficult it is to be one of God's chosen prophets. King told the story of his experience on the night of January 27, 1956, a month and a half into what turned out to be a year-long Montgomery bus boycott. The boycott had become a threat to the city's economy, so in turn, anonymous callers had begun to threaten King's life if he didn't call it off. And on that night, utterly depleted, King made himself a cup of coffee and sat down at his kitchen table and told God, I don't know if I can do this thing. And he later said that at that precise moment, he suddenly felt God's presence with him as he'd never felt it before. And God spoke to Martin quite clearly, saying, stand up for justice, stand up for truth, and God will be at your side forever. As time went on, it became apparent to King that he was not going to die in bed, old and full of years. But that visceral experience of God's presence with him sustained him, and it had to. Because telling a nation the truth about itself the way Dr. King did was hard and dangerous, not just to him, but to his children. It's one thing to stand up for justice and truth and know that your life is at risk because of it. It's hard for me to imagine even having that strength. It's another thing entirely to stand up for justice and truth and know that doing so puts your children's lives at risk. Make no mistake. God's call is a costly call. It was for Eli. He fell sh far short of the mark. He had been entrusted with an important role among God's people, yet his fate now is so catastrophic that hearing of it will make the ears of all who hear about it tingle. His house will be punished forever. His sin cannot be forgiven. There is no future for Eli or his, for his family, only death. God gave Eli holy work to do. Eli botched it. God, God withdrew God's favor. And yet, here, near the end, 
Eli is still given a role to play in the story of God with God's people. Eli is the one who recognizes God at work in God's call to Samuel, even if he's out of practice and it takes him three times to get it right. And though he seems to know that the news isn't going to be good, he says, may God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me. Eli is the one who insists on hearing exactly what God said. Eli knows that even if news from God might have hard consequences for us personally, it is still news from God, and it must be proclaimed. Eli has this in common with Dr. King. To the extent that we, like Eli, respond in faith to the word of God, even when it is a hard word like Samuel's word for Eli or Martin's word for white America, we, like Eli, still have a role to play in the story of God's saving acts in our time. It is the case that we 21st century Americans have a tendency to narrow God's claim on us to a personal, heartfelt, one-on-one relationship between us and Jesus. There's nothing wrong with that. But we have a tendency to forget or maybe not understand that that relationship spills over into community. That, in fact, we never stand apart from the web of connection and relationship into which we are bound by baptism. We are always an elbow or an ear or a toe, never the whole body. But oh, are we precious. We are beloved elbows and ears and toes. We are each individual, particular one of us, a wonderful work of God, created, known, and cherished by God on purpose and with delight and for the coming of God's kingdom. God is good. God is endlessly generous. God needs us all, you and you and me, to bring God's dream for this world to life. That is God's holy and life-giving call to each one of us and to all of us together. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. You can find out more about the Church of the Holy Family at holyfamilychapelhill.org. Thanks for listening, and join us again next week. Peace be with you.